Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sam Joyce, and today I have the great privilege to be speaking with award-winning financial advisor, entrepreneur, podcaster, and author of the new book, She's on the Money, Victoria Devine. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. It's really exciting for me because I'm a newbie member of the She's on the Money community, so I was Yay! so excited to get, to get the chance to speak to you today. Ah, oh, welcome, friend. I get so excited when people tell me they're actually in our community. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a, it's such a great community, uh, and I'm so excited about this book as well, to build, which builds on the community that you've built. Can you tell us a little bit about She's on the Money and what inspired you to write this book? So She's on the Money is basically about helping other people create financial freedom and understand their money better. We have a podcast of our own, um, also aptly named She's on the Money, uh, where we talk about just millennials, their money troubles, what's going on, and we're just really trying to open the conversation about money up. Uh, and when it came to writing the book, it just honestly felt like a bit of a no-brainer after creating the community. So the community started, then we started the podcast, and then from there it kind of just snowballed. And I get asked on a daily basis, like, what books do you recommend? How does this work? Like, what should I be, you know, looking at as a resource? And for me, there just wasn't a resource that I was 100% happy with. So I decided to make it myself. <laughs> Well, that's one way to go about it, for sure. Um, so what are some basic money principles that you wish everybody knew? I think I think the first thing, which is really, uh, I guess, a little bit left field for most money or financial advisors is money stories. And that's a really big part of the way we think, act, feel, behave around money. And for us to actually have tangible change and lasting impact when it comes to money and actually being able to save and being able to invest and being able to create the freedom that we all so desire, we actually need to understand our background. We need to understand why we feel certain ways about money and just open that conversation up so that you can go, oh, that's why I'm a little bit more frugal or that's why I just don't feel like saving. And I think that that is the one thing I would want everybody to understand before they actually start talking about saving or investing or, you know, which bank accounts they want because mm. all of those things will happen properly once you fully understand your own money story. There's so many elements that are involved in everyone's individual money values and money story. You know, there's a whole socioeconomic element, you know, there's where you grew up, your parents, you know, how they saved, how they approached money. Um, and I think that having knowledge about finance is really important, but when knowledge is power, but most people enter the financial playfield with, you know, different levels and understandings of finance. So why is it so important for young people especially, to educate themselves on finance? I think because we always think it's a problem for future us. It's a problem for tomorrow. It's a problem that we don't need to talk about uh, now because we all think, oh, it'll be better when I earn more money or when I actually you know, get a better job or whatever it is. When in reality, the earlier we start, the easier it is the more impact we can actually have over the long term and the less of a lifestyle change it's going to require. Absolutely. And what really intrigues me about your approach in She's on the Money and your community is you talk about the psychology of money. What do yeah. you want people...
about the way we relate to money. I think this ties back in to, you know, what we've been speaking about earlier about money stories and, uh, and, and money values. I think people always assume that their money story is something that they have created when in reality it's actually the people that surround us, the people we've grown up with and the experiences we've had with money as as a child. So our money story, research tells us, actually starts and properly forms by the age of seven. So this is how we feel about money. It is how we approach it. It is that gut feeling you get when someone says, oh, hey, um, have you got $100? And you either do or you don't. But your stomach has this Mm. inherent feeling or either that makes me uncomfortable or that's absolutely fine. It's very different for every single person. And when it comes to the psychology of money and the psychology of saving, behavioral finance is something we do not talk enough about because it's the thing that actually drives the investment market. It's the thing that helps us save. It's the thing that makes us put a priority on superannuation. And if we can get a hold of that, we can actually have tangible impact in our lives. And I think too many people are focused on, well, what's the right savings account for me? What's the right bank? What is the right approach? What is the right book? When in reality, it's about stepping back, understanding ourselves, understanding how we can change. And that is actually not our fault. So our money story is an outcome of our environment. It is not an outcome of who you are as a person. And your money story does not define what your money story will be in the future. So you can't pick your story, but you can absolutely write the new chapters. Exactly. I think some people are, you know, great savers. They love to save. They get a real buzz from, you know, putting that money aside and watching it grow. And some people, like for example, hate spending large amounts of money. I personally find it almost a painful experience when I have to make a, you know, a large payment on something. Like when I bought my my car last year. I had yeah. the money, I, I needed to do it, I wanted to do it, but it hurt so much. <laughs> yes, and we all feel different things around money and I think it's really important to, I guess, discuss that because not one of us is the same as the next. Exactly. And we have different values, we have different priorities and that's why I guess I get so fired up and frustrated because not all of us want the same things either. Like. Someone might want to buy a home and have three kids and someone else might want to travel the world. And those are different financial priorities, whereas I think every other book to this date has always been like, okay, well, here's the set way of creating financial freedom. And it means buying a house. It means paying it off. It means prioritizing superannuation. And that mold doesn't fit millennials. We want the freedom of choice. We want that flexibility and our lifestyle now, not to just buy houses and have babies, I suppose. Whereas that's not a bad thing. That's something I even want. But I know that that's not the reality for everybody and we need to create financial plans that are as dynamic as we are now in 2021. Absolutely. Um, and so I want to go back to uh, thinking about the psychology side of your um of the money philosophy that you speak about and she's on the money. And I was really interested to find out that you actually have a background in behavioral psychology. (laughs) How has that influenced your own financial philosophy and the financial philosophy of she's on the money? 
Yeah, so my background is in psych and I have two degrees in it, which is uh, I always thought a little bit of a waste and it's absolutely not. I actually use those degrees more every single day than I did when I worked in the industry. And for me, that's actually where my passion for finance came from. So I worked in this area. It was more of a corporate psychology role where I would talk to employees every single day about their engagement and the culture of the organizations and I would say I'm a pretty open person and I love a good chat. So often things would, you know, culminate and we'd start having these conversations where people go, Victoria, it's not about the culture. I love my boss. I'm just so stressed about money. Like my wife's pregnant and, you know, we didn't plan this and she's going to go on mat leave and we're just not sure what to do. Or someone would say, yeah, I'm just really stressed because I haven't had a pay rise uh, in six years or whatever it is. And I just feel like I'm so much more deserving of it, but my bosses haven't awarded that to me. Mm. So I think I started having these money conversations with people just by default because one, I was interested in it and two, they felt comfortable to have those conversations with me, which I'm very, very grateful for, but I felt really underprepared. So I wasn't a financial advisor at that point in time, but I had all this psych knowledge. So I was, you know, open asking all these open-ended questions Mm -hmm. and having really great conversations, but I never could solve their problems. So I went and I started studying and I started my MBA and throughout my MBA, because I'm actually quite crazy when it comes to study, (laughs) I was also doing uh, an advanced diploma of financial uh, planning and I felt like that was really helping me facilitate those conversations in a better way to say, okay, well, maybe you need to get some advice. Maybe you need to do X, Y, and Z. And I felt more empowered, but the more empowered I felt to have those conversations, the more important I realized those conversations were and they weren't happening enough. And so I started to kind of slide further into the financial advice world and I started dipping my toes in whether I actually wanted to become a financial advisor and push came to shove. I decided to jump the psych boat and go over to financial advisory and I've never looked back. So I feel like those two things absolutely go hand in hand. And the, uh, the comment around the, the stress that, of the people that you spoke to as well really interests me because I'm not sure there's enough conversations around the long-term cognitive issues or, or you know long-term stress that can be put on people when they are worried about money or have a lot of debt or concerned about their financial future. So with the She's on the Money community and the whole idea of financial freedom has a lot of uh, psychological positivity as well, a lot of psychological benefits around mental health. Uh, would you would you say that's part of your the community's approach? Yeah, absolutely. Mental health is a really big part of what we discuss and it's more about just being able to have open, honest conversations and being able to embrace that money does impact every single facet of our lives. It is the reason some people aren't able to re- to leave uh, relationships they don't want to be in anymore. It is the reason we might not be able to attain an education we want to attain. It's the reason some people aren't able to put food on the table for their families. At the end of the day, every single issue can come back to money. Like there's obviously so much more in the world than money, but if we can get a grasp of this, this is what our economy is run by. If we are able to be comfortable with that, it's going to make our lives therefore more comfortable and therefore take down the mental load that most of us are carrying. Absolutely. Now, as a millennial myself, I do want to ask specifically a question for you around millennials and finance. 
you know, we're often caught short in the financial world. Our dollar just doesn't go as far as it did, you know, in our parents' day. We're frozen a bit out of the housing market and it seems like our financial policy in this country works against the younger generation. What do you think the future of financial security is for the millennial generation or even younger? Financial security for millennials is the one thing that I am most passionate about. And for me, I think it's actually about education. You're right. Finances are much harder today than they used to be. But in saying that, they are still things that we can achieve. We just need to change the goalposts because property now no longer is the actual asset. I have a 26-year-old millennial who wants to buy a home but is single and earning $70,000 a year. Their income is not going to support the purchase of a property really close to the Melbourne or Sydney CBD, for example. So I think it's about changing our goalposts and actually going back to what we actually want to achieve in life and saying, okay, well, what can I do? As opposed to let's talk about the things we can't. So the She's on the Money community and the She's on the Money book is very much about what can we do with our situation instead of focusing on the things that we are, I guess, trapped out of in a way because it just doesn't help us to focus on those things but we have so much power that we are not harnessing that we need to together definitely so shifting the mindset from you know what I can't do to what I can do and I think the first step in your in your book around that or one of the, the first steps is creating a money map and actually reflecting on your own budget first before setting those goals. So could you expand a little bit on the idea of money maps for our listeners who might be new? To the idea of a money map what do they what do they entail yeah so money maps are so fun maybe it's fun for me not anybody else because again <laughs> i love finance but a money map is essentially a four quadrant map where we are able to understand where we sit right and if you don't know where you are going or if you don't know where you're currently standing how on earth are you going to be able to get there so it's kind of like me saying hey i'm going to drive your place but I don't have the address and (laughs) I start driving but I might end up in Adelaide when in reality you live in Sydney and I'm not going in the even remotely right direction and I think for us it's really important to understand where we're currently starting from as well as where we're going so for me if you don't have a very clear understanding of where you're starting from so for me if I was driving to your place from Melbourne I would obviously want to head towards Sydney but if I don't know I'm in Melbourne, I might be going in exactly the opposite direction. So this is a, a tool that I use to help you understand where you sit and where you're working towards so that you can see those steps right in front of you as opposed to just going, oh, yeah, I'm pretty okay for now. Uh, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing, but I'll just you know, do my best. This actually helps you start to formulate that plan. You touched on something before about how it's really important to understand where you're going before you actually set goals. And for me, that's all about motivation because it's so easy to say, okay, well, my goal is to buy a $2 million house. It is so easy to get disheartened Mm. if you're setting goals that are actually not achievable. So we want to understand where we are, what we have capacity to achieve to begin with before we start setting goals, not because I'm some kind of Debbie Downer, but Mm. because to be realistic means that we are actually able to achieve these things as opposed to immediately being disheartened by a goal that you then find out after you're never going to be able to achieve. 
Exactly. And I think I've come across so many times this idea of, you know, set, set yourself the blue sky dream goal and then you'll figure out a way to get there. You'll, you know, you'll be motivated by this, by this dream of yours. And yeah, I personally, I, I do get disheartened because I look at something like that, you know, that, and I don't know how to get there. It's completely unachievable. Why should I even bother? Um, so obviously that's one mistake people can make exactly. when they're setting and goals. we want to crush that mindset yeah. <laughs> exactly it's, it's it's i don't think it's the uh the she's on the money mindset you know approach to to financial freedom and i'm i'm personally trying to to adjust that um and so that's one of the mistakes people can make when they're setting goals but what are some other common mistakes people might make when they're trying to set themselves up for their financial future I think not having a solid plan in place that you're going to save for a home, for example, I really want to see a plan that has everything thought out. So if you want to save $10,000 a month or in a year towards yeah. this home deposit, do you actually have about $800 a month free? Yeah. Are you actually able to put that aside? Because if you're not, you're not going to be able to achieve that goal yeah. and then you'll get to the end of it and that is going to put you in a position where you go, oh, I, I set this goal of saving 10 grand and I just didn't achieve it. I'm useless. I can't achieve goals. Everything yeah. I set my mind to just doesn't happen and it's just this negative space. Yeah. When in reality, you set a goal that wasn't achievable for your situation and had you actually planned it out and said, okay, well, if I do want to save this $10,000, 12 months is actually not a period of time I'm going to achieve that in. Maybe it needs to be two years. Maybe it's 24 months and I break that goal in eve because the easiest way, and I've said this before, to get disheartened is to set a goal that yeah. you're not actually able to work towards. And I think it's just about setting in place the framework to yeah. be successful. And once that framework is there, it's really, really easy. Definitely. And what I really liked when I was reading your book was that we had these exercises to go through, to set goals, to do the money map. And that guidance, you know, was, was really good for me because I think sometimes people might want, uh, you know, have a certain idea, have a certain goal, but don't actually know how to articulate that for themselves and actually make sure they're, they're checking all the right boxes and really understanding for themselves where they want to go and how they're going to get there. So, you know, are there, would you say if there are any, uh, I guess, achievable financial goals that someone can set for themselves right now? If they're listening to this podcast, you know, what could they say, well, tonight I'm going to do X, Y, Z? I think it's all about that money mindset and understanding your budget. I genuinely believe so many Australians have their heads in the sand when it comes to all things money and they're just not willing to understand the basic cash flow that exists. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't define who you are. But what we need to basically understand is how much money do I have coming in each and every single month versus how much is going out. And it's not... A judgment piece and I think that for a lot of people when I say set a budget they're like oh I, I don't want to live on a budget it's like a budget is not something you live on it is actually something that tells you what you're spending on and whether your spending is actually in line with the values and goals yeah. that you have and I think a lot of people assume a budget is okay going to set a budget and only going to spend $75 a week on groceries. And that to me is not achievable because you haven't gone and actually worked out what you spend on, on groceries to begin with. Mm. And if your budget for groceries or what you're spending on groceries on average is $150 a week, I might then turn around and go, Hey Sam, 
if you're spending $150 on groceries, can we talk about why? And you yeah. might go, oh, Victoria, I just love food. I just That's the thing that sparks joy in my life. That is the thing that I get home from work and I cook a really beautiful meal. And I go, oh, okay, well, that sounds like something that you absolutely adore. Like cutting your budget down takes a bit of joy out of your life. Should we maybe look at a different area we could cut back? And you go, yeah, there's actually gym membership I never use. Yeah. That might be where we start to cut back so that your values are reflected in your budget as opposed to, oh, okay, well, what should I be spending? It's not what should I be spending. It's is my spending justifiable to the value I put to that asset class? So for me, if you spend $150 on groceries, all power to you as long as you're super aware of what that means to your budget. Absolutely. It's, it's about being really mindful and actually interrogating what you're spending on and does that align with your values. And I found that out because I read your book. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think too many of us ask questions like, oh, well, what's reasonable to spend on groceries each month? You go, well, that's completely dependent on mm. you because I've got people in my community who, you know, they're super, super frugal. They actually just see food as fuel and they go, yeah. you know what, I just, I just eat really... Uh, really basically I am happy to have the same meal every single night of the week and my grocery budget every week is $50. I go, wow, like that's impressive because they've got that level of self-restraint. I could never exercise that myself. That budget tip would never personally work for me. And I think it's about accepting that's okay. Like other people might only be spending $50 on groceries, but they're spending $75 a week on some bougie gym membership Mm. because that's what they adore. And I think it's about respecting that other people have different goals and there's no one set thing. It's just more, does this fit into my value framework? Does this, you know, make me happy? Is this something I'm really proud of? And I think that it's all about you. It's not actually about what Sam spends versus what Victoria spends. It's, does the income that you have coming in match what's going out and are you able to save and invest for your future and goals? So thank you very much for that, Victoria. I do want to ask and pick your brain a little bit on something um, that was happening uh, over the last few months. Um, I think during COVID and probably over the last 12 months or so, I've seen a lot of people dipping their toes into investing and micro-investing. And I do see a lot of questions around this in the She's on the Money group too. I know I personally got a little bit of FOMO and a little bit of curiosity around the whole GameStop situation that was happening. I was vicariously watching over Reddit. Of course, I could not get involved myself. Yes. <laughs> um, it actually yes. ended up being a bit revealing, though, as well for the the popular app Robin Hood. And I think some people, yes. you know, didn't have the best experience at the end of the day with that one. So what was your perspective, I guess, on the, uh, the approach with GameStop? What was happening there and, and with Robin Hood as well? Oh, that is such a complex question. And I actually did a video on this on our Instagram recently because we had so many questions about mm. it. But essentially, that was behavioral finance at work. That was people yeah. feeling FOMO and buying in because someone else said it was a good asset without having any understanding or basis of it. And that drove the market up purely based on demand, not based on the quality of the product yeah. that existed which is why it went so berserk. And then when it went up, the people who bought in at the very start 
they were making a whole heap of money and the people that got in because it was all over social media and they had FOMO, they're the ones that ultimately lost. Yeah. Now, Robin Hood and all of that other, like, I don't think it's fair for me to pass judgment mm. on, you know, what happened there. I don't agree with it and I don't feel like it is, you know, reflective or fair of the proper investment market. Mm. But things like that, they get a lot of media, whereas good investment strategies are not sexy. Nobody talks about them. Good investment yeah. should be boring. It shouldn't be something that you get FOMO over. It mm. should just be that like slow turtle that plods along and does the right thing for you. Whereas I guess GameStop could be compared to the rabbit that never really won the race. Yeah. And it, you know, went hard at the start and, you know, a lot of people did the wrong thing, but it also showed us how much power the market actually has when they want to make a decision. So with GameStop, obviously a whole heap of hedge funds went and purchased yeah. a whole heap of stock in this particular thing to actually elicit that sense of FOMO in the market to drive it even higher. So that was all purposeful and essentially it's called GameStop, but we were the ones that got played. Yeah, it was it was such a fascinating, uh, you know, experience or phenomenon, I guess, to to watch and to see how people were, you know, engaging and sharing their own, you know, successes and failures as well. But it was almost a little bit worrying, you know. I guess is this the kind of manipulation, behavioural or otherwise, you know, that that can exist, you know, in shares. So, I guess, what would you say to someone who's a little bit scared of getting into shares and why is it so important for women in particular to consider investing in this area? Women need to invest because we live longer than men and we're going to outlive them. So at some point <laughs> in our lives, we are going to have to financially rely on ourselves a hundred percent. And that is the crux of it, right? Like we cannot expect to have this whole theory of, and I don't like this theory of a man is not a financial plan. Mm -hmm. It is not, but I don't care who you're with or what you do or what your relationship status is. I want you to have the financial freedom to be able to say no to any situation, circumstance, relationship that you are in so that you can walk away. And finance is going to give you the power to do that. So for me, investment and sticking your toes in the water doesn't mean putting your life savings in an asset and watching it. It mm. could be a micro-investing platform where you put, you know, maybe $100 to start and watch how it goes and, you know, watch the markets for a while. It could be getting advice because you've got an inheritance and you just don't know what to do. But at the end of the day, a good investment strategy has enough research behind it that you feel comfortable to sleep at night. It should never be something that stresses you out because if you are stressed out, you're not going to commit to it long term and it's definitely not going to have the power that it needs and you are more likely to pull out at a time that you are not meant to. Mm. So they always say the best of the best time in the market is when people are really stressed about losing money because their share price has gone down. That's the best opportunity to buy. Whereas that point of euphoria where everybody's so excited and you would have seen this with GameStop, you've yeah. seen it a heap of times already with things like Bitcoin, when everybody's really excited about that asset, that is when you should be a little bit wary and step back and go, hey, why is everybody so crazy about this? This is probably not the ideal time to, to yeah. buy in because it's got this mass craze about it, which means it's probably got an inflated price. Yeah. So for me, it's about just dabbling, seeing what's going on, and that's not the long-term plan, but it's definitely a really great gateway to just start the journey and start start what's going on. And there's so many great micro-investing platforms 
forms that exist now that enable you to start with as little as five dollars and that's a coffee Mm. and so for me that's a great investment in your own financial literacy because at the end of the day even if you lost that five dollars which you're very unlikely to but if you lost that five dollars it is not the end of the world and I think it's you know an investment to me or it's an investment for you in your own financial literacy and going you know what I'm just going to have a turn like I'm going to put my hat in the ring and see what happens Um, and from there it's going to grow. It's definitely all about, I guess, giving ourselves choice later on, the power of choice and not being forced into, you know, a situation or or an environment or an end result that we're not uh, happy with at the end of the day. Um, And I think that these days with with the new micro-investing platforms, with with even the banking apps and Comsec and things like that, which have their own uh, investment areas too, there's even more choice. Uh, to think about investing and the barriers like you said with the five dollar coffee is so much lower to just give it a go exactly and the barriers to financial advice for a very long time have been too high and that is something that has driven me to create she's on the money because my background was psychology and then it was finance and I now have my own financial advisory practice and to be honest even having my own financial advisory practice still renders financial advice out of reach for a lot of our community. And, you know, in the background, I'm working on another product, which is a lower entry product. It's that step between micro investing and seeing a financial advisor because financial advisors, they're worth their weight in gold, but a lot of us want to just start, you know, you've been on your micro investing platform for a few years now, you've got $5,000 in your account to see a financial advisor and get a holistic financial advisory plan is actually going to cost you like four or $5,000. Yeah. And that's the money you've saved or invested over the long term. And it's just, that, that's a zero sum game. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So at the moment I'm working on this product that coincidentally is launching at the same time as my <laughs> book so that people can invest and actually get advice as opposed to just playing around with micro investing platforms. It's that really beautiful middle ground. And hopefully we can just create this super financially literate uh, generation of millennials. So we can all have that level of financial freedom that I genuinely believe we deserve. Wow, it seems like you're super busy and you have a lot of things on the go. <laughs> uh, and you know, with this, uh, with your own financial advisory business, with your, with all the different, uh, I guess, elements of your career to date, which has been amazing from my perspective. What has been, would you say, the highlight for you so far? She's on the money is absolutely the highlight, and it's probably not the thing that you wouldn't assume it is either it's not having a book I'm so proud of this I'm so proud of our podcast I'm so proud of the massive community we've got our podcast now has what more than a million listeners a month which to me blows my mind but I think the thing I'm most proud of is the individual impact we've had on everybody in our community and we we see a lot of magic happening in our direct messages on Instagram and on Facebook and even in our actual mailbox here at work where people are writing into us and saying, Victoria, my life is significantly different Mm. because I'm a part of this community. I'm out of an abusive relationship or I've got my dream job or I asked for a raise and it's the tangible impact on an individual level that I can see that we are doing the right thing. Like even knowing that I've had, you know, one person that's entire life has shifted because 
of the advice we've done genuinely makes me feel like I've done the right thing. And I cannot tell you how excited I am for this. She's on the money. I would love to say movement to become, you know, more widely accessible with a book. For me, being able to get that into people's hands and knowing that I've put my heart and my soul into this book to not only talk about finance, but provide the reader with the activities they need to do to understand their own situation and actually make change. It makes me so excited. (laughs) That's empowering, right? Giving people the tools to take it in their own hands. Yeah, and I think that that's something that this, I guess, industry has been missing. It's not, they, you know, there's that quote, you can take a man to, like, you can feed a fish or whatever it is, but I genuinely <laughs> believe and, yeah, I genuinely believe in giving people the tools to change their financial future, but a tool is useless without the education to use that tool. So I think that that's the step that's always been missing because there's always been this idea around finance books where it's like, we'll talk about the concepts, we'll tell you how important it is to invest, but they don't go, okay, now you know it's important to invest, now you know what you want to do, here's the tools to do it. I don't think that's existed properly before. Do you think that's one of the reasons why your podcast has resonated with so many people? Isn't it the, was it the number one finance podcast? Yeah, we're the number one finance and business podcast in Australia, which is insane. Amazing. But I also just think it resonates with so many people because it's come from a place where I didn't think She's on the Money was ever going to become a business. Uh, To me, running my financial advice practice Zella really made me feel like there was this demographic of people, particularly women, but people who were missing out on financial literacy they deserved. And I'm this person that was so wildly passionate about it that I was like, you know what I could do? I could create a Facebook group and we could just talk about it. Like we could just have these conversations because that's what I wanted to be doing and I didn't have that space for that. So I created that. People started having these conversations and I remember the day we hit and I I can remember this so clearly, we hit 1,700 people in the group. And I was like, what? That's 1,700 people? Like that's cool. 2000 that's so many people that are having these conversations with me and the engagement was through the roof and I was just so in love with this community that I'd created just because I wanted to have this conversation and I think the she's on the money I guess ethos comes from a place of love rather than a hey we could probably make a business out of this and it came from a place of me genuinely believing the more that I give the more we have an impact and the more ultimately we'll see in return but it never came from a place of, oh, one day I'll have a book, oh, one day we'll have a business. Like, it just never crossed my mind. And even when it came to that 1700, like, I want to create more content. You guys are so supportive of everything I do. And they said, we want video content, Victoria. And I was like, oh my gosh, no way. Like, I'm so <laughs> unconfident when it comes to film. They said, well, why don't you just do a podcast? And so, I started this podcast. I invested my own money. I never thought it would be a commercial venture. It was just from a place of, hey, I'm so lucky to be in the financial space and be able to create this podcast and, you know, help other people. And now we have, what, a million downloads a month and we have more than 150,000 people in that Facebook group. It, it blows my mind. But I think to answer your question really simply, we're successful because it came from a place of love. It never was meant to be a business. And everybody in my team, we now have a team of six, uh, everyone in that team is just as passionate about financial literacy as I am. It's definitely something that 
in the community and in Australia that people obviously really, really want. Uh, and I think that the, the book, you know, is going to help tremendously with that. What do you, as a final question, what do you hope readers will take away from the She's on the Money book? I hope they take away a feeling of empowerment that nothing is unachievable, that they actually have more power than they ever thought was imaginable and that they have the power to change a situation they don't want to be in. So there's no one outcome for me. It's not I wish people would save more or I wish people would invest more or I wish people would care about super. All of that is so important. But I think it's just more you can actually do this. You're a smart person. You've just never been given these tools before. So it makes so much sense that you wouldn't understand it. And I think so many people are embarrassed that they perhaps don't understand finances well as they wish they did. But it makes no sense because they've never had those tools or resources put to them. So why would you understand them? And I think that for me, it's just hopefully people walk away from reading my book with a sense of empowerment that they can change their lives and they can start a financial journey or they can change their money story. Well, that's certainly the way I walked away from the book feeling. So congratulations. I'm so <laughs> glad. I'm so, so glad. Thank you. Um, and yeah, big congratulations on the book. Uh, I definitely heard your voice so clearly in the writing that I really felt like uh, class was in session and oh, I was really? just sitting I'm down so <laughs> next to you and you were telling me everything I needed to know. And I was like, yes, cool. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Uh, and, you know, it's an absolute joy to read. I'm sure I'm going to read it so many times. To me. <laughs> it's it's so accessible and I really appreciate it. Thank that. you. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with me. Thank you so much for, for joining oh, I'm me glad. today, it Victoria. Was really imp- thank you for having me. It has been an absolute delight, Sam. Uh, and you can order a copy of She's on the Money right now on booktopia.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au